Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 189 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined by my co-host, Victor Rodriguez, and today we'll be discussing prime moments from UFC Paris, the reality of Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva, Luke Rockhold's latest comments on his retirement, Chris Cyborg's comments on her own retirement, and we take a look at a couple wild moments from other combat sports. Victor, what did you make of that UFC Paris card? The UFC's first foray into gay Paris turned out to be a hell of a lot more than I'm like. And I mentioned this when we did our last episode. I said, you know, this this got some sleepers, man. This guy, they got some bangers on this one. Abu Supian Magomedov, the former PFL uh, runner up who who did a tremendous job at middleweight there, then decided to shuffle off back to Europe. He had a great performance in KSW. He comes in here and he just, oh my God, the way he handles so was nuts um that fight between the opener there between uh eileen perez and uh, stephanie egger a lot of fun grappling took place on that one there's just like a really cool way to start kind of getting things open and you know they 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 had like some very well paired action matchups but when they hit the main card man it was like all right this is this is there was like a bit of a noticeable shift and you know, then you get to the everything from the wild knockouts and and the the ridiculous main event uh, in terms of like the display of heart, durability, and power, and then the co-main event being a masterclass just in terms of dude styling on Vittoria. My man, Robbie, you know, Bobby Knuckles is just like it, it's it, this. This was such a well-made, such a well-assembled card. It kind of reminds me of how Invicta, in a way, kind of assembles their cards. You know, they'll they'll have the people making their pro debuts or like the one and O's or two and ones starting things off, and then it just kind of ramps up. I like that. Well, we are going to take a look at three fights on this card. And I think that they are probably the three most relevant fights for right now. And we're going to start backwards with Nathaniel Wood defeating Charles Jourdain. And I have a couple of thoughts on this that I'm going to relay to you and see what, what your agreement level is with it. And my problem with this fight is that Charles Jourdain and Nathaniel Wood both fought Literally a month ago, Charles Jourdain fought five weeks ago. Nathaniel Wood fought four weeks ago. Now, Nathaniel Wood had a fight that was action-packed, but he didn't take nearly the damage that Charles Jourdain did. Now, Charles Jourdain, if you remember, he fought Shane Burgos in that absolute slobber knocker, knockdown, drag him out fight. He should have won it, but they gifted Shane Burgos with the fight, but That's the kind of fight that literally takes years off your career. And here he is fighting just five weeks later. And I understand that he wanted to be on this card because he is French Canadian and it was very important to him. But his manager should have stepped in and said, hey, you just took, you know, a significant beating here, even though you probably should have won that. It was still one of those fights that takes years off. I don't think you should be in this fight so soon, especially against a guy like Nathaniel Wood. Now, Charles Jourdain was gassed by the end of that first round. That is uncharacteristic of him. And so that tells me that maybe he jumped into uh, a really tough fight way too soon. Do I think he would have beaten Nathaniel Wood if he had been 100%? Nope, I think Nathaniel Wood is better. I think Charles Jourdain has a lot of defensive weaknesses that he needs to shore up. But at the same time, both men could have done with uh, a longer break. Even though the Nathaniel Wood showed no signs of wear and tear from his last fight, I am of the firm belief that you need more than four to five weeks in between a fight. I understand also that these guys need to fight because they need the money. But again... Any manager worth their salt should sort of put their foot down and say, hey, do their best to try and talk them out of it. If you can't, you can't. But I would do my damnedest to talk them down. 
What do you think of this? I, I have to completely agree. And I, I think that maybe with a full, uh, not so much a full camp, right, but with a bit more distance, I think the fight certainly would have been more competitive. And I would give Jordan a chance to win it, although I, I would have a harder time mm-hmm. uh, deciding or making a pick here because, as you said, Wood is tremendous. And we don't want to take anything away from him and his performance in this. I mean, it's not a matter of like... It, it feels kind of bad to say these things about, you know, Jordan not being potentially not being at 100 percent. And, you know, what, what does that say about the other guy? Right. It doesn't make him look very good. I just want to make sure that we're clear here. That's yes. not what we're saying at all. Wood did not win just because Jordan was not at uh, perhaps an optimal condition. It's just a matter of like, look, man, this this is it didn't help. You know, when you got a guy who took the kind of uh, the went through the kind of punishment against Burgos that that Jordan did so recently, you'd think that maybe if there was another gap of maybe another two months and then you get a full training cap on top of that, then, okay, I can see that being something that's that's a a lot more feasible here. But he wanted to come back real quick and do it. I I, I don't know what other concessions there may have been. I hope the UFC doesn't view this as. as a major setback and it's a good loss in a way right i mean look if you're going to lose to two guys in a row would and they happen to be shane burgos and nathaniel wood it's like all right well you're losing the quality guys you know dudes that have still a lot of growth to uh go through but are also really really legit so i mean you know look uh it doesn't mean that jordan can't bounce back from it but he really needs to take a break indeed and again Two things. I feel like Charles Jordan did win that fight against Burgos. And I do feel that Nathaniel Wood, even if Charles Jordan was 100% at this current time and place in space, Nathaniel Wood takes him all day, every day. We'll see how Charles Jordan rebounds from this in the future. How do you match him? Who would you like to see him against to maybe get him back on track? Oh, gee, I see. I don't I don't even know who else like who's who's tied up and who's not right now off the top of my head. But I mean, it, it, it certainly seems like the kind of situation where they might have to give him somebody that uh, is probably also coming off a loss. So there's a lot less. Um, maybe there's a there's a lot less pressure. I mean, I don't know this. These things can go either way. Um I, I just really think that more than anything, the more important factor is going to be time and also maybe what kind of stylistic matchup he's up against, right? If you put him in there against somebody that is um, maybe not uh, as much of a volume striker, uh, he may have a bit of an easier time. But then if you t- put him in there against a very cautious wrestler, I'm not sure how well he does with that, too, right? Like, you got to really see how well he's dealing with it. If he's if he is, in fact, gun shy after this to a degree or um, if maybe there's any sort of changes in the manner in which he takes his fights. Because, you know, look, sometimes you have these dudes that like in the Burgos fight, he did start off a little slower than Shane did, you know, but that's also because Shane throws a ton of volume in a lot of his fights. So it's kind of, you know, you being a little bit more on your back foot until the third round and then, okay, now he turns it up. So what do, who he faces next? Um, that's Ige. a bit of a tough question right now. I don't, I'm not really sure that I can answer that. Dan Ige. And the reason I say that is because Dan Ige is on a three fight losing streak. He's, you know, in his past four, he's only got one win, but he's high enough up there where you could pair him up with a Charles Jordan, get a good fight and possibly set one or the other of these guys, you know, back on track. It might not be Jordan that gets back on track. It might be Dan Ige, but Dan Ige is not currently matched and he last fought June 4th. So if we were to match this, say, three months out, maybe by the end of the year, that's a pretty decent match. What do you think? That is a that's a dynamite matchup. I just feel bad that one of them's got to lose. And <laughs> with a loss, Jordan is probably the one who's most likely to get his walking papers more so than than Ike. For sure. For sure. So that that does kind of make me feel a little more um you know, like I like it in terms of action and in terms of divisional relevance, but then the other context surrounding it. Oh, come on, man. Like why want to do this to my heart? Come on. <laughs> All uh, right. So we're going to move right into the co-main event. And as you mentioned so astutely, 
Robert Whitaker put on a masterclass. Now we'll give Marvin Vittori his slight props because he fought well in the first round. He just abandoned everything. I don't know what happened there, but his fight IQ plummeted straight through the floor into the basement. And Robert Whitaker, boy, does he shine in rounds two and three. I mean, he gets his little sea legs under him in the first round, gets all nice and warmed up. And then it's like a, a switch gets flipped in his brain and he is all business after that. What a performance. And Marvin Vittori looked like he was standing still the way he was getting beat up. So two things about that. It seems to me like it's a bit of the Anderson Silva sort of Terminator thing, right? Like I'm going to analyze your movement and and see what you bite on with the feints and what movement you employ. And then after that second round, it's like, all right, you know what? That's enough. I think I've I've figured this out. And he did. And Mm -hmm. the only thing left for Marvin was doing that herky-jerky shuffle with his lead arm trying to kind of work a jab, trying to step forward to make sure it connected. But even when he did, he got punished. And it's like, no matter what this dude did, Rob had a solution. I'm not sure if the situation with Marvin is a matter of training, if it is a matter of simply Marvin's limitations being uh, what it is, you know, maybe this is the the final point of his development. Maybe this is as far as he goes in terms of growth and uh, any sort of evolution in his game. Which would be, it's just, it's incredibly unfortunate because you look at the guy who fought Jack Hermanson, the all right, well, that, that, that was, that was a smart, gritty, tough performance. You know, he was able to box him up, but what happens when you put him in there against a guy, like I said before, you put him in there with a guy who's a smarter boxer than he is, a guy who's not going to back up in a straight line, a guy who's not going to let you press him against the cage. What happens when a guy actually pivots and he's throwing teeps at your front leg and he's throwing head kicks? What do you do? I mean, we saw this against Adesanya and we saw this against Costa to a degree. And it's like, you know, it just it it's it, it, it just doesn't he just seems to when he runs out of options, which it happens fairly quickly, it's done. And I just I feel sad because as much as I have my personal uh, misgivings about the dude in terms of his boneheaded opinions, you know, look, as a fighter, I don't want to see him fail either. Like, yeah, he's not that heinous a person. So. Hey, he's just annoying and has a an oddball personality that's not very funny and his angry hulk routine kind of gets tedious when he fights like <laughs> this now here's, yeah. here's my observation on vittori eugene has a term that i love high level gatekeeper mm-hmm. that i believe is marvin vittori's ceiling because when he's not fighting guys in that top five echelon all of the ones that are constantly in contention marvin vittori does not do well if he's fighting those guys but when he's fighting down from his position down he does very well so he seems to me one of those guys that is incapable of making the next step now he's he's young enough where he might be able to turn it around i mean we watched robbie lawler have one of the greatest career arcs of all time so maybe we see something like that with Vittori, but I don't know. He seems kind of boneheaded and really set in his own ways. It seems like he probably comes in with a game plan and quickly abandons it when he gets boxed up or in trouble. He doesn't know how to shift. You always talk about phase shifting. He's a guy that doesn't know how. And that's the weird thing because he was with American Top Team, I believe, at one point, but then now he's with Kings. So, you know, if Cordero and them, I mean, if that team hasn't been able to add more wrinkles to his arsenal, or at least at the very least, provide him with the tools to figure out the opponent, right? Is he is he malleable? Is he coachable? Can he with the corner that he's got? Can he adapt and 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 listen and employ the methods that are being offered to him by his staff, by his crew? that's another factor too like i don't know what else you can do this man literally transplanted himself across the country to be with what is still in a you know a very very solid team with a very good crew and yet he can't seem to make it happen what does this guy have to do i mean does he need to move yet once again and go to like tiger muay thai or something like that does he does he uh I don't know, go to some Chinese monastery up in the mountains. What has to happen for Marvin Vittori to kind of get out of this rut? He's going to have to go to (laughs) Shangri-La. Just might have to. I don't know. He might have to go train with Mark Zuckerberg. You never know. 
Oh my gosh. That's Look right. at you bringing up Meta. Hey, that's right. <laughs> if it's not one billionaire, it's another one. Victor is always on the quest to defeat evil. Mm, or something. Or something. Now, that's right. Let's talk about what we do with Marvin Vittori. And I had this crazy idea. We just saw Joaquin Buckley get defeated by Nasruddin Imavov. Imavov is, you know, lower than Vittori in the rankings, but, you know, he's surging. This is a fight I wouldn't mind making. It's either going to see Vittori defeat somebody beneath him like he always does, or we might see the emergence of another star in the making with Imavov. What do you think of that? Uh, sure. Why not? You know what? Have Marvin fight either guy. Buckley, Buckley clearly lost that fight, but he was in it. You know what I mean? He was really trying to give it everything he had. I mean, that dude really, um, you know, at, at no point was there any quit in him, but he's also somewhat limited, it seems. Thank so you. maybe two limited guys coming off losses, but it would be a bit disparate considering the big step down that it would be for Marvin, right, from his perspective. But so, Imovov maybe, though. See, that, no, I like the upside would be, of that. That would be a far better, yeah. I mean, that, that would make a lot more sense in this. It, it, largely, uh, and again, this is me just speculating because of the fact there's a lot more shine given the nature of the more recent performance and at least it wouldn't be Marvin fighting some guy who's that far back mm-hmm. in the packing order because Buckley, I don't believe, was even ranked for this fight, whereas Imabov was. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, that doesn't really uh, – I, I guess it would take some of the sting out of it. And if we were to, in fact, look at the um, the way that the rankings went for this one because this is, this is what I found most interesting. Uh, let me see here. So for middleweight, we're looking at, uh, Vittoria's ranked at number two. He was tied with Cannoneer for some reason. I'm not sure why. Uh, and then you got Imavov who was ranked at 12. I mean, what's everybody else doing? Strickland is out of commission due to his injury. Uh, Till is, uh, still combating the law yet again. Andre Muniz, I don't know what he's up to. Gastelum, same, same. Um, Paulo Costa, I mean, yeah, okay, fine. Pereira's going to be fighting for the title, even though he's ranked at number five. And then you got Blonde Brunson just hanging around, not doing much. Well, Blonde Brunson is getting, he says his next fight is his last one. Yeah, well, there you go. So it's probably not going to be somebody that's, I mean, I'd be pretty surprised if it's someone in the top five. Yeah. You can't really do anything with Sean Strickland because his fingers about to freaking fall off yeah he looks like he injected that russian crocodile thing that was making people's bodies fester from the inside yeah, yeah. so we've we've got the tory sort of sorted with another fight let's sort out robert whitaker because you either gotta give him adesanya or maybe Pereira, who you know after this fight he could fight either guy but you can't you can't really take them any further down than that. You could maybe see, I don't even want to see a rematch with Cannoneer because he, he very clearly won that fight. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, he just beat the crap out of a Tory. Uh, Brunson is getting ready to retire. And I, mm. you know, I think he, uh, or maybe Pereira just simply for the, the newness of it. But everybody else, I mean, you can't put him against any of these other people really. I'm going to agree with someone who's actually a lot smarter than me when it comes to this sort of thing, who told me that maybe the best move would be for Bobby to just sit back and wait to see what happens here with this Pereira versus Adesanya matchup. Because let's say, for example, right, one of them slips on a banana peel, can't make it, you know, Adesanya steps out, you could see yourself fighting for an interim title right there against Pereira. Or if Pereira wins... You know, then you have a fresh situation where you're not uh, sort of soft blocked by the UFC having lost twice to Adesanya. And I believe that person was you who had mentioned that just a few days ago. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's probably the best move right now is for him to just sit tight and, and, and see what's good, because um, right now, what other thing would make sense? Fighting Brunson again would kind of be a little bit brutal to Brunson, but he it, they might frame it as like, can Derek get this one back? It's like... The way that last one happened, nah, dude, I don't think I got much faith in that. And what is there to prove in fighting Vittori again or fighting uh, 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 what's his face? Um, oh, Christ. We just we just mentioned him. Cannoneer. Yeah. Right? What purpose is there in fighting Cannoneer again after the way that it was a very definitive uh, victory over him 
just none of this solves any problems, nor does it answer any questions that really need to be answered for any form of progression for anyone. And that is why I posited those two fighters, because we just wait and see what happens. And bang, you've got your next opponent. However, I will say this. Zane Simon posited another excellent idea. Bobby Knuckles has been talking about moving up the light heavy. What if we pair him off with, say, a, a big yawn? I love okay. that idea. I really do. I think it's fantastic. You know, I, I, I as much as I hate having to admit Zayn was right, that is a good idea. <laughs> I'm in my in my ideal world, this would be one of those things where they do kind of what they did with Rich Franklin. They have a couple of like you know quote unquote attraction matches at Franklin Weight at one ninety five as a trial balloon to see the feasibility of what a division would look like. And you have him and maybe have him fight, you know, two guys. Let's just say two, right? Have him fight two guys, and he starts slowly having more guys contracted at 195 to sort of ease that bit of the that that thing that I keep mentioning, that miasma, right, between 205 and 185. But that's just wishful thinking. I know that's not going to happen, right? It's like the 165 title. It's not going to take place. So operating within the confines of reality, right, within the parameters of what we know can happen, Happen, or at least is more likely to happen. 205, I guess it really all matters. Uh, it all comes down to what happens in this next uh, matchup, as we mentioned. But you know what? It's not the dumbest idea. It's it's not like Roy Nelson dropping the middleweight. Like this is fine. I can. This is. I sure why not? As long as he's not immediately fighting for a title or not immediately fighting someone in the top three. Sure. <laughs> All right, so we're going to move to the main event. And listen, anybody with eyes could see that this was a special fight. Sure, it started a little slow, but I feel like those those slow first rounds are feeling out rounds, especially in a five-round fight. I can totally get past that, no problem whatsoever. For all those people out there that say that the first round took away from the greatness of the fight, you're idiots. Um, the fight was amazing and it's awesome to see Cyril Ghosn pick apart his opponents after that first round where he gets a feel for him I mean he's such a cerebral fighter tied to Ivasa though my god the man can crack like nobody's business <laughs> I mean Cyril said himself he knocked me out and when my head hit it woke me back up and you got to appreciate his durability because he snapped up so fast and was completely recovered. I have not seen recoverability like that. I can't even recall who, who can spring back up like that and just wreck shop the way that he did. And those those kicks to tie to Ivasa's midsection when Bisping said he's going to be tasting his lunch for a while man I believed it no he was totally right and that's again like that was kind of like the king hippo approach you don't have to be a genius to do it but you do have to be pretty ballsy to pull it off in that context the way he was doing it when he nailed that first left kick to the body and he folded him in half and he was just like bent over and he's like oh you felt that huh you start immediately starting starting to uh throw more kicks to the body and then some punches to the body too because you're gonna sap his gas tank i guess he figured like damn this dude might be fat but he's not going away what do i need to do how do i make this work and you know, I, I big ups to him for figuring it out and, and putting that pressure on and, and having that happen. I mean, Ty did what he could, man. He couldn't defend those body shots and he ended up paying for it. But look at how well he acquitted himself early on. This is the story of this fight is not is gone winning in France and Tuivasa losing by, because he got knocked out. The story is, holy shit, these two dudes really brought it to each other, almost finished each other, and then eventually one of them came out on top. I mean, if, if Gan is more than uh, capable of admitting that he was, in fact, out, but it was all fair because it was the landing that woke him back up, then that says a lot there, man. That's That was that was pretty dope. Who else do you see hitting Gan like that and putting him to sleep? Yeah, and the yeah. other thing, too, is that a lot of people bitch about Gon's style, but, you know, he's technical, he's surgical, he takes his time, and sometimes his fights don't end in uh, finishes, very few, but still, it 
it's amazing that someone like Tai Tuivasa, who people just associate with, you know, just clubbing someone to death. It's amazing that it took someone like Tai Tuivasa to bring out the beast and gone. And I don't think either guy lost a single bit of their shine in this fight. I mean, nope. Tai Tuivasa, everybody's a winner for this. That's Eugene said that um, when we recorded the uh, Care Don't Care podcast earlier today. That's what he said. Uh, nobody lost in this fight. And he is absolutely right. Everybody won. Yes, most importantly, UFC matchmakers. They're the biggest winners here. I mean, it didn't seem like, uh, it, you know, we didn't really know what to expect in terms of excitement, but I don't know that I expected it to be this good. Yeah, for sure. Now, pairing these uh, these two off in their next fight, Cyril Gon asked for Francis Ngannou. I don't see a problem with that at all. However, what I would like to see first, <laughs> I, I would like to see him fight Blades because, you know, his... His kryptonite appears to be his wrestling. I know he's a good grappler, but how did Francis Ngannou beat him? He out-wrestled him. <laughs> so you put him in against somebody like Curtis Blades, man. But then you have Blades with that very touchy chin, and it's clear, gone can <laughs> sleep. Pardon my French, can sleep a motherfucker quick. <laughs> okay, so, but is it really touchy, though? Like, I mean, look at who's cracking it. But still, I mean, look at guys that are taking, I mean, look at Gon's chin, look at Tuivasa's chin, and then compare those chins to Curtis Blades, and there's a difference. There is a significant difference in durability there. There is there is a difference. I, I, I don't deny that. I just think it's like, if you're only really getting slipped and, and knocked down by the hardest hitters alive... Mm then, you know, like, you're, you're doing okay, right? I mean, I, I don't know. Blades can crack, too. Yes, he so can. That's, Absolutely. That's, you know, so it, it makes it interesting. That's why I want to see yeah. that one, for sure. Or, yeah. if Johnny Bones can get his ass in gear, <laughs> I would love to see it. I do. I want to see it. I don't think Johnny Bones has a prayer here, but I want to see it. Prove me wrong, you know? Bro, you, you, you're doing some real evil shit right here, John. You, you made me laugh and make the ugly face. You made me, you know how Tyrese got the ugly cry face? I did the oh. ugly laugh with the snorts. And it's just like, you, you can't do this to me. John Jones fighting a heavyweight. In what year? What's, what, what decade, Seffi? What are we doing? Is Max Headroom going to be reality by the time this happens? Is OCP going to finally build Delta City and, and, and the ruins of old Detroit? What are we looking at here? What, what, what timeline are you giving me here? I know. I, know. I ain't going to be alive to see that shit no stop that no absolutely not <laughs> i disagree ma'am i disagree now tuivasa what do we do with tuivasa though <laughs> let me get one more in i'm gonna beat the nursing home putting in my teeth you know john jones was gonna fight at heavyweight my son's gonna be rolling me out like shut up you old bitch like it's gonna be <laughs> and i will totally deserve it because why am i bringing that stuff up uh i'm sorry what was the question <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness so we're looking here I'm looking at the rankings and I have to I have to correct myself from another show. <laughs> I had mistakenly said that Sergey Pavlovich was further down the rankings than Tom Aspinall. And you know what? I'm looking at the UFC rankings here and mm. Tom Aspinall is actually one down from Sergey Pavlovich. So I must correct myself for those that might have listened to Care Don't Care because I said I did not want to see Sergey Pavlovich fight surreal gone because mm. eugene posited that and i just think sergey's a little bit too low to fight the guy that's you know the he, he's the he's the number one guy well curiously enough um they both oh no actually no i, I don't see any movement on there i don't know how long they've been in those spots right. um i yeah well look pavlovich at number five I don't like Gone at number one. I don't know. I, uh... I, I mean, I guess, I, you know, it, it fits. It, it's top five. It fits, yeah. It's one of those but things like, look, like it just makes fight. sense. And I think that's what my problem is, and that's probably why I've railed against it so much when Eugene um, suggested. I just don't like it. However, John Nash suggested Tom Aspinall, and I freaking love that. <sighs> Maybe, maybe that's maybe that's something that that uh, that Tom needs, right? This could be the move. I um, I I guess it, it also makes a lot of sense. I mean, again, look at where they're at. Aspinall's ranked number six. 
And look, I, again, I just I need to put out the disclaimer. We do this all the time. But like when we talk about rankings and stuff, I understand they're subjective mm-hmm. and they only mean things when the UFC wants them to Thank mean you. things. I know. Mm-hmm. Steffi knows. We all know. But we're just, again, operating within the confines of what we have. This is the rationale that's used. Well, then this is what we're going to use as, 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 as what uh, the basis and the springboard for us to make the educated guesses that we're trying to make here. That's all. So. Please don't email me. I swear to God, I just don't. I'm tired. Between the hockey emails and this, I can't do this anymore. So, yeah. Uh, Sure, why not? You know what? Give them whichever. Give them both. Have them fight them both one after the other like digs down. I don't care. Sure. Also, you know what? I frequently confuse Sergei Spivak with Sergei Pavlovich. And I also (laughs) think I might have crossed that over in my brain a little bit there. Nah, uh, I'll do you one better. I'll do you one better. You know, I used to confuse these three dudes. These three dudes at the same, like uh, they were in the UFC at the same time. Sean Strickland, Sean Soriano, and Sean Spencer. Oh my! I would I would mention one while thinking of the other frequently. It was yeah, it was bad. And just another minor caveat, a little a bit of a, a trivia nugget. I'm not going to say who it was, but we mentioned. We talked about the inimitable Chris Hall, someone who we care a lot about, who was one of our moderators back in the day at Bloody Elbow. He was not the only moderator to block himself or ban his own account. I won't say who the second one was, but there was someone else. I'll just put that out there. Okay. All right. Yeah. But in any event, for Cyril Gunn, I I just think it needs to be Curtis Blades, Francis Ngannou, or John Jones. But for Taitui Vasa, I really like... Uh, Tom Aspinall and for Tai Tuivasa, um, uh, Sergey Pavlovich works for me too. I can't remember if they have fought before, so I'm gonna take a quick look at that. No, I don't think they have. I don't think it's fought either one of those guys. I I don't think so either. But I'm just gonna take a quick peek. He has fought Sergey Spivak, but not Pavlovich. What? So when did that happen? That happened back in 2019, and he actually oh. lost. That was his three-fight losing streak: Junior oh. Dos Santos, Blagoy Ivanov, and Sergey Spivak. Now the polar bear Sergey Spivak has been doing very well, but he's still ranked at 12. And yes, I definitely confused them. But Pavlovich being ranked at five, yeah, you know what? I'm going to give it to Eugene. That might be all right with Cyril gone, but it also works for Tai Tuivasa being ranked at number three. So mm. we could actually match Pavlovich with either guy. Yeah, I guess so. Sure. Anywho. Anywho, we are going to move on into our first news topic, and it is Anderson Silva. And guess what? All of those rumors about Anderson Silva possibly fighting Jake Paul, they are looking closer and closer to reality because MMA Fighting's Mike Heck has confirmed with the Arizona State Boxing and Mixed Martial Arts Commission that Silva has received a boxing license to fight in Arizona. Now, this follows an initial report from MMA Junkie, and an opponent and date have not yet been announced. However, (laughs) uh, No Smoke Boxing first reported that um, Jake Paul and Anderson Silva were supposed to do it, and it was targeted for October 29th. And then Dan Raphael reported that the bout is expected to land in Phoenix. And then you get Anderson Silva getting his boxing license and guess where? Arizona. And it's all fitting together nice and neat like that jigsaw puzzle that only has eight pieces and (sighs) give it to your three-year-old and they put it right together and it's nice and neat and perfect. This is what we have here. Now, neither Paul nor Sola have publicly confirmed the matchup, but it should happen very soon. I believe that Jake Paul has some announcement coming up this week or the following week, and I feel like we're going to get the announcement. Uh, What do you make of this? I'm not sure what to make of it because Arizona, I mean, there's no real, we know this, we know there's no real laws in Arizona. I mean, you know who else has a boxing license in the state of Arizona? Me. And I've never set foot in it. You know how? I got 15 of them right here. I got a whole pile of them right here. They're all printed on Whataburger wrappers and uh, the whatever whatever material it is that they make the cups out of. They, they, that was the sturdiest one. That's the only one they laminated because that's the only thing they allocated the budget towards. Uh, yeah. I, okay. Look, I... Sure. I think they're probably just hammering out some of the um, details in terms of 
compensation and how the split's going to go. But I think that other than that, finding a venue probably won't be that hard. Um, I mean, what's what's going on this time of year? I mean, are the Diamondbacks in the playoffs? No. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't even know. I'm just guessing. But, I mean, it is the Diamondbacks, so no. Uh, I don't know if their hockey team is doing too Hollywood right now. I don't know if their football team is even going to be playing uh, in the city at the time that the venue uh, – or they're, that they're going to be looking for a venue. They might not need a major stadium or arena for this to happen. They could go to a smaller spot and make it work. But what I do think is they're trying to find a place to make it work. And this seems like the kind of thing where they're just moving everything right along and we should probably be expecting an announcement soon because the cat's already out of the bag like they both want to do it and both of their management teams want to do it so clearly money is changing hands and they would be dumb to not do it who else is jake gonna fight at this point that would lend him any sense of real credibility in the mma space and as far as anderson goes he knows this is good money this is the closest to to conor mcgregor money as you're gonna make and i mean it's it's not quite that but you know it's the days of anderson silver money are over so now Anderson is the one chasing the paycheck, and this seems like the kind that would be pretty hefty. So, um, yeah, sure. Okay. I like it, and I like it because this is a fight that will do two things. It's either going to put Anderson over very well in the boxing community if he ends up winning this, or it's going to actually solidify the fact that Jake Paul is a boxer, and he's not bad. He has power. He seems to take it seriously. He trains um he trains thoroughly i i'll give it to him i want to see it i can't help myself and i'm gonna give you a little quote here from dana white who you know everybody under the sun knows that jake paul and dana white are oil and vinegar and frequently going at it but dana white said i don't give a shit about jake paul but if he's really fighting anderson silva if that's true it's about time He's got a real fight on his hands there, regardless of how old Anderson Silva is. Yes, that's a real fight. And I agree with him. Doesn't matter how old Anderson Silva is. He's 47, by the way. He looked great in his boxing matches with Tito Ortiz. I mean, I mean, he face-planted him. But what's more important is um, uh, Chavez Jr., when he fought him, that's what counts. And he won. So, yeah, I mean, this is Dana can say that all he wants. He's going to watch. Maybe not live, maybe not the same day, maybe a couple of days later, but he's going to watch. Like, just, just, I don't, especially if Anderson wins, like, of course he does, because he always tells on himself. You know, he always say, like, oh, I don't read the, I don't read the headlines, I don't read any of the stuff on the internet. And then he's like, you know, the other day somebody on the internet read, said this. It's like, okay, so, you know, come on, which is it, Grandpa? Make up your mind. And he does the same thing with this. I don't pay attention to that fight, so whatever. Did you see, did you see how that dude tagged him? He's not, you know, like, see that. That's the kind of thing. Like, you, you can't, he can't keep the story straight. So, you know, that's what he's going to do. And so now that we've gotten that off our chest, or at least now that I've gotten that out of my way, I, I, I don't I, I don't doubt that he is probably excited for this to happen because it's like, great. Now, this dude who is a terrible person, and that is true, uh, is going to get his comeuppance, hopefully, which has been quite some time coming. And I'm OK with that. Absolutely. Now, Victor, you're going to notice that I went out of order here from mm -hmm. our outline. And there's two reasons for that. One, because Mookie normally keeps us on track with that. Got <laughs> off track. But after I did that, I thought to myself, you know what? It actually works out because your two topics involve retirement. So it fits that you go back to back with those. Mm -hmm, so I'm going to go ahead and give you your intro here to get your first topic on the table. All right, let's go. So it turns out there was a recent interview uh, courtesy of the Mac Life with Luke Rockhold, and they asked him pretty much as far as, you know, are you really done? Is this really over? Are you uh, considering under any circumstances the possibility of fighting again? Let me ask you a question. How do you think this went? Because there's somebody out there smarter than me that always says nobody fully retires, and that's Steffi Haynes. She's right there. Say hi, kids. Hi, kids. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just going to read what he said here. Sometimes I struggle back and forth thinking how I'm going to approach this, but too many people hide behind their words, not how they really feel. I want to retire. I want to work on life like I did a fraction of my break. I want to get my body together, my health together. 
Health is wealth, ultimately. My body's deteriorating, and fighting doesn't help that. I want to get my body back, but I'll never close the door. Once I get my health fully back, I get my body where I want, and I start performing and not hurting myself. Maybe make another run at this thing. One, two, three years down the line. I honestly feel like I'm only getting better. The way I'm treating my body, changing the game, take out alcohol from your life for the most part considerably, at least for the heavier shit, and see how far your life goes. Well, sage advice, and I'm sure that he's doing his best to um, stick with it. Uh, I'm sure that it also helped, but, you know, you're talking about taking a one, two, three-year break. How long was he out this time Almost before he fought years. Costa? Right? And so here's the thing, man. Um, sure, he fought a guy who was very tough. He fought someone who was part of the upper echelon of the division, for better or for worse, and we all know how I feel about that. But he did acquit himself fairly well. He did what he could i mean it wasn't uh the prettiest fight it wasn't um his best performance but that's not a knock on him man this is what happens when you have a lot of time on the shelf and you fight a guy who's pretty damn good and who's also still in his athletic prime but what does a return look like who does he fight when he comes back what does the landscape look like if he were to return two to three years from now and that's just considering middleweight what if he decides he doesn't want to cut and he wants to go uh, up to 205 how does that even factor into any of this and he tried the 205 thing before y'all remember how that went mm. he fought jan blakovich mm. and guess what they didn't go too damn well i don't like it i mean look I, the, it gave me some hope to hear him talk about his recovery and the possibility of all that. But all he's doing so far is registering some measure of intent. All he's saying is he would like to. This is not a promise. This is not a guarantee. Best case scenario for everybody. He's made a good amount of money. He's hopefully invested somewhat wisely. His competitive fire might still be going, but he decides, no, you know what? I think it's better to just stay out. You could address any questions of the what could have been variety at some other juncture or just not have to worry about that at all. But it just at this point, do you really need to keep doing this, man? I don't think he has to keep doing this to himself. I hope that that's not the case. I hope this isn't one of those deals where he just keeps coming back for the paycheck. Uh, he, he might be. He might not be. But, man, that I don't really – I'm not really a fan of the idea of him coming back ever mostly for his own good it's not a matter of how well he's doing it's more a matter of how well he will do once he's really fully done with fighting what do you think about this stuff i think you hit it right on the head i don't want to see it if he couldn't get himself together in the three years he was out what does he think he's going to do with another three years and putting him even further out age-wise Luke is not getting any younger, and his body has been through the ringer. His leg is still not fully healed because he doesn't leave it alone. Even when he was retired, quote, <laughs> retired or taking his break or whatever, he was constantly in the gym. I went through his Instagram, and it's constant from the time he last fought before this, you know, th almost three years ago or just over three years ago, until now, he was training constantly, always in the gym. Why? You know, I get that you should uh, keep yourself fit, but he was sparring. Why? And that's the other thing, too. Um, from what I understand, Luke is a beast in the gym. It just doesn't translate very well into his latest, you know, current fights over the past few years. That takes years off of you as well. There's a reason why. A lot of people have started getting away from sparring in the gym. Max Holloway comes to mind. Getting away from that constant banging around of your head. Luke was with the Black Zillions and Henry Hoop. One of their biggest things is meat night. Meat night is when you go full tilt sparring with no headgear. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I think that Luke's best days are behind him. He acquitted himself well in that Paulo Costa fight. He had Costa hurt a couple of times. That was probably his grittiest performance. It's a shame that he is well past his prime, though, and he got beat from pillar to post, regardless of the few moments that he was able to stun Costa. Costa recovered immediately. I would not want to see him come back, and I couldn't even think of a fight I could confidently say he could win and furthermore he 
had all of this stuff to say about the UFC. And it was stuff that needed to be said. I think that for that to stick and for it to be important, he needs to stay out. And that's just my take. No, but like you, you, you definitely, you definitely nailed it in terms of like, yeah, he did say all this stuff. I mean, I don't know what his contractual status is. If he were to return, does he come back to the UFC? Does the UFC want him back? Does he go and fight somewhere else for, you know, blood money championship somewhere? I mean, what, what happens? What, who takes the chance on him and rolls the dice? I don't even know. I I don't, I don't know what, there's no way to really predict how any of this stuff happens because we don't know what the sport's going to look like nine months from now let alone a year or two, you know, it just, it doesn't, it just doesn't work. I don't know. Not, I don't have that much faith in it as much as I really am happy to see him uh, living his best life and, and being the best Luke Rockhold that he can be. No. Well, what, what's our second retirement? Well, let's actually address that. It's not quite a retirement now. It's more like Babe Ruth pointing towards the outfield gesturing his intent and that is actually going to be regarding one of the greatest of all time if not the greatest chris cyborg now she had a conversation with ag fight and she talked about the uh, sort of what the end of the road might look like for her because she has been competing for a very very long time and it seems like at this point maybe it's uh, an opportunity for her to slow down now this is what she had to say quote it's hard to say, but I think you have to really focus. It's a totally different sp- – well, I'm sorry. I should I should uh, mention this here. She was addressing the situation as far as uh, taking some boxing matches here and there along with her MMA run. It's a totally different sport. But sure, if I receive good opportunities, I'll do my best to see if I can juggle both. I want to have super fights for my fans. I believe I'll be fighting for the next three years. I want to accomplish 20 years of fighting. It goes without saying that I want to have the best fights that my fans – to see during that time she's been doing this for 17 years another three sounds like something of a humble goal it's not bad really i mean what more is there for her to do look she's beasting on people in bellator she's having some great performances if she is afforded and given the opportunity to take on some fights outside of bellator whether it's boxing kickboxing grappling what have you that only adds to her, I guess, not so much her legacy in MMA, but at least her legacy as a competitor and the personal fulfillment that she seems to derive from it. And you know what? Good for her. I'm okay with that. That seems perfectly fine to me. Because again, this is not an this is this isn't the kind of forever job. You know, this isn't something you should be doing long term anyway. But if she's able to stretch it out and meet that 20 year benchmark, and that's what makes her happy. I'm all for it. Matter of fact, she could retire tomorrow and have really accomplished a lot. She was a champion pretty much everywhere she went. She did amazing things, and she put on some insane performances against opposition that may not have always been as uh, high level all of the time, but she did fight some pretty tough people, and I think that's good, really. You have to take into consideration that even though the field might not have been the strongest if you compare her to, say, I don't know, George St. Pierre or Jose Aldo, not every career has to go out that way. This is fine. What she did was great, and I applaud her for doing what she's done, and if this is the way she wants to go out, good for her. Now, what do you think? Should she uh, really go uh, for that period of time, or do you think that maybe she should cut a little shorter? No, I think she can make it. Absolutely. She's managed her career very well. The one recent loss, I know she took a loss way, way, way back early in her career, but yeah, her pro debut, I think. Yeah. I mean, it was so far back. I don't even, let's just chuck that in the trash can and move forward with the one loss to Amanda Nunes. No shame in that. And it holds up well. I think Chris Cyborg is still capable of wiping out anyone on that Bellator roster the only challenge left for her is Kayla Harrison, in my opinion, or po- a possible rematch with Amanda Nunes, which will never happen. Mm. So we're, we look at Kayla Harrison, and I'm starting to wonder if that could ever happen either, because it seems like Harrison is more than willing to put herself first and, and go where the money is, and you cannot blame her. I am all for any fighter getting their bag, and I don't care how they get it, 
Um, if she decides to stay with PFL and fight scrubs the whole time, it's not her fault that there's no one there for her to fight, but that's where the money is. So for all the people that are mad at Kayla, it's not her fault. Stop putting the blame on her for securing her future. She's got kids, <laughs> you know? She's making more money. What woman in the UFC is making the kind of money she's pulling exactly. down? Exactly. What woman has ever pulled down the kind of money she's ever made? I mean, just looking at how these things are going, she's making a million dollars a fight every time she's out there. And let's say that's not – even if that's not true, she's making a million at the end of the year plus her purses. Mm-hmm. Fam, what are we talking about? What are we doing? Like that's still more money overall with longevity. I mean, that that's more money than Ronda Rousey's made if you no. really want to look at it that way. At least, no, 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 it's, no. It's, at least it's a trajectory en yeah. route to that. I'm not saying she's done that already. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she is on that, on that trajectory for sure. Like Rhonda has made 5 million in one fight. Um, that, that's a figure that John has verified. So mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty significant. Now, Kayla isn't there yet, but if you took her cumulative purses, sure, she's made that much money, but mm-hmm. it, for her to make that in one lump sum, plus a percentage of the pay-per-view, you know, because Rhonda had points too, and she had good points. She didn't have entry level points. Rhonda had good points. You know what? I hope with all the money Harrison's making this year, at least I had the wherewithal to buy Horaguchi one of those little <laughs> rainbow beanies with the <laughs> propeller on top. Not because of any, not to disparage Horaguchi. I just think that their friendship is one of the coolest and, and most adorable <laughs> things I've seen in a long time. Right. Yeah. I love it too. I really do. But yeah, definitely, um, I think that Cyborg can absolutely extend her career another three years because, I mean, she's phenomenal. And there's not a lot of competition out there for her. I think Cyborg could probably fight until she was 45 and um, beat most of the competition out there. I don't think that she could beat them all, but, you know, I think she could definitely keep herself going even longer than after 40 but i like that she wants to call it a day at 40 at 20 years yeah that that seems that seems feasible um for her that's not feasible for a lot of people though Mm. but she's been so dominant in her career it's been rare that she's had three round fights it's only been recently that her fights are going the distance this is um very ambitious to want to st- stretch it out for, for three more years well into and past well would be well past her prime because i feel like her the the last vestiges of her prime are right now yeah i mean it could be also that she's just fighting people that take a lot more damage exactly. you know it could yes, be that as, could as be. part of it you know yeah. at least part of it right yeah, yeah. for sure but uh you know age unfortunately that's the great defeater right Mm. there so anyways we are going to move on to our last topic and that is our famous other notable moments from combat sports and the first one is from victor victor does a segment on bloody elbow every week called what the fuck and this week's what the fuck was called the burning knuckle and it comes from Africa and there are some some series it's a series of fights called Dembe I believe tell us about Dembe and tell us about this burning knuckle okay so here's <laughs> here's what happened originally originally thanks to Tim Bissell this was supposed to be called what the fight unfortunately uh, the UFC has trademarked what the fight after uh, we started doing these pieces so um, I don't know I mean causation does not always equal correlation but um, that's kind of weird and funny but all right fine let's stick with that so Dambe is a traditional uh, fighting style. It's a type of competition that you see largely throughout Nigeria and uh, actually throughout the south of Nigeria, I should know. And, and so the way that it works is you have a hand that is wrapped up and taped up and then you have the other hand, which is free. You are only allowed to strike your opponent with the hand that is uh, that is that is wrapped. Now, uh, there is more of a. Um, there, there is the more traditional styles. You'll have the, you know, the lead hand will be the free hand, which will be the one to parry and to like sort of move the other guy's hand out the way, and then you sort of start sniping and throwing shots, right? That's kind of where, that's kind of what you're trying to go for. 
African Warriors is an organization that has existed for uh, some time now. And I interviewed the owner and founder, Maxwell Kalu, who's a pretty sharp guy. And his organization not only allows for punches from that one hand, but it also allows kicks. So you you will see some head kick knockouts. And what happened here with this one, uh, I kind of use that tongue-in-cheek term, the burning knuckle uh, uh, knockout, because it was the fastest one that the organization had recorded at that at, up until now. But man, this dude got, you know, this dude got hit. It was kind of like one of those anime punches where the guy kind of drags on the ground for a little, for like a second. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty brutal. It, it was, it, it's just, there's something very different about it because of the timing that is necessary, the precision and the force that you need to put behind that hand. I mean, it, Dambi is, it, it can be grueling. It can be a little tough to watch. Some of the matches drag and they don't always end with a finish, but when they do, there's there's usually a very, very heavy holy shit connotation to it. I'll tell you what I like about it. First of all, I like the open arena. I love all of the people standing around. I watched several of the matches because I had never seen it. And I started watching the matches and they never cheat. No, they rarely I, ever, I mean, you rarely ever see, see any, any fouls, foul like even accidental ones. All. I didn't see any of the audience, you know, the the people standing around. I mean, it's literally open. The ring looks like it just has sandbags around it, just one level, you know, maybe ankle level, and everybody stands outside of that and watches this open pit fighting, and nobody gets in there. Nobody tries to rush things or any. I mean, it's so civilized and awesome so much more so than the fights that we see here no you're you're absolutely right and you know what the thing is that i don't really i haven't really put much emphasis on this myself but if you look at the entirety of the match you know there's there's the the ceremony for the fighters coming in there's the music there's the gambling the money being tossed around like that's sort of like um you know it's like a good luck thing you know because you know it's it's embracing Mm -hmm. the fact that people will be gambling but then you know they've got gifts and stuff for the fighters it's oh man it's there's there's an entire thing around it that's not just the here's two guys that are going to punch each other it's it's really really amazing in that sense and And, what, what i mean by um It's the crowd that is so awesome there. And it's so different than the crowds here where you see fights breaking out in the crowd. In some some boxing matches, we have seen the crowd rush down into the ring, throw shit, just be awful. Mm -hmm. The crowd there with total access, I mean total access to be be able to go in there and punch the the combatants and everything there's (laughs) so much more room for things to happen and they don't and I just love that. (laughs) You can't do that you can't do that in Buffalo. You can't do that in the United States period you just can't. I just feel like their fandom is just wonderful. I loved it so much but the other thing I really liked was in a lot of the matches the free hand they would grasp each other and basically hold on and just club the shit out of each other (laughs) because the one thing that victor didn't mention is that when they're wrapped the fist is wrapped extra and it literally looks like they're swinging freaking clubs and my god that's my favorite part is when they they they're clasped, you know, one hand on the other guy's arm, and the other guy's got his hand on on his opponent's arm, and they're holding each other, sort of in an, an old timey handshake, the arm shake, you know, where you grasp the arms, and they're holding on and moving around in circles inside of this circle, and just clubbing the shit out of each other. It is insanity, and I love it. Yeah, two things there. The, the the thing that I just want to clarify too, because some somebody's gonna probably be thinking like, "Well, how come you say that hockey fights suck when the guys are grabbing on the shirt and punching the other dude?" Like, yeah, but they're not there for that. They're there to play hockey. Right. Whereas in this, they're here to actually fight. There is no pretense. They are here to get this work done. And man, do they get that work done! And second, before I forget, the term "burning knuckle." If you are uh, old enough and savvy enough to remember, that is a term from Fatal Fury, Terry Bogard, one of his. Uh, it's a it's a fighting game that's one of his moves and i just thought it would be uh 
a cool thing that, you know, I just sort of heard that screaming KO in my head when that dude landed. I'm like, damn, that kind of did remind me of a Fatal Fury thing. <laughs> so so I kind of I kind of threw that in there for that reason. And and for the record, I don't mind hockey fights. I don't mind fights in the in the audience or anything like that. But that's oh, purely for spectacle. You know what I mean? I, I look at that like uh, world star hip hop videos that happened across my timeline. If they're rolling across my timeline, sure, I'm going to look. If somebody in the UFC audience is fighting and they pan over on it, of course you're going to look. If somebody has a clip of it rolling across your Twitter feed, of course you're going to look. And hey, you might see a good knockout in hockey. Man, I like watching those goons get in there and throw down and slug it out. But Mm. again, that's not why they're there. It's all Mm. about spectacle. But there's none of that with Dambe. And I just, man, it's so awesome. Yeah, it's it's dope. But I always like I always like to include as much as uh as much Dambe as I can, you know, every once in a while because it's it's really uh it's it's gaining a lot more traction outside of Nigeria. And that's really cool to see how uh American audiences and, and UK audiences are gravitating to it. So it's it's actually pretty nice. I mean I do like throwing in the other stuff and what the fight covers again, it's it really covers the fringes of combat sports. You know, I throw in like the Taekwondo highlights, the uh, judo championships, I throw in a lot of sumo stuff, some Indian wrestling, whatever weird thing i can find that's tangentially related to this but there's always just something that which just it always fits that spot it always scratches that itch of like let me see what's going on here and oh wow man these dudes they're great now our final other notable moment from combat sports is about floyd mayweather (laughs) Uh boy oh boy his stare down with uh, asakura got a little odd because his weird ass bodyguard just randomly gets in the middle and shoves the shit out of Asakura for no reason. They were in a stare-off, and that was it. There was no shoving, no talking. They were just standing there staring, and he, his bodyguard just felt like he needed to get in there and, what, show off or something? What the hell was that? I don't understand. Okay, you, you, you have... This is the point where you got to blame Sean Shelby, okay? And, and I don't mean that literally, but what I mean is like somebody, somebody dropped the ball here. Why is the bodyguard the guy in the middle? Floyd's bodyguard, the right. guy in the middle. You know what I mean? Like, should no, there should be some, some other promoter. official person standing there. You yeah. don't need that. You don't need, you don't let that guy bring his goon in there and then have a moment like this. And we're lucky that that's all that happened, right? I mean, obviously, look, Floyd's not going to mess up his money. Neither is the bodyguard. He's not here to mess up his boss's money. So what happens then, right? It's just he, he went in there for that show of force. And I, I don't even understand what the ultimate purpose of it would be, considering that this is Floyd Mayweather. He might be old. He might be fighting a novice, but it's still Floyd Mayweather. I, he doesn't need the intimidation factor. So if he told the bodyguard, hey, man, when I get up in there, you do this. I don't know that that's really what would have happened. I don't I just this this whole thing just seems so gross because it's like this is such a bully move. And Asakura just kind of took it like, all right, cool, man, whatever. I mean, he's going to get paid. It's, it's, I guess he's fine with it. Well, will he get paid, though? Remember, Floyd has has issues with paying people and paying them on time. I mean, I believe Logan Paul still hasn't been paid or had to sue in order to get compensated for his. Uh, Well, that's who who was who was organizing and promoting that one. That's different. True. You know, this is this is under the auspices of Ryzen, so um, yeah, I, but... I would imagine that Asakura won't be having that same problem, especially since he is one of their mainstays and one of their top guys that they've invested a lot of time and energy into. But remember, Floyd doesn't do anything unless he can have his fingers in the pie, and it's only been recently that uh, since he's been doing these exhibition matches and the crossover match with connor that he's allowed anyone else to co-promote with them his fights especially the one with manny pacquiao floyd pretty much controlled everything from the concessions on down yeah yeah that's what he does he negotiates everything to the bone good for him won't be just rising that'll be a co-promotive effort there but you are right what the hell was his bodyguard doing in the middle why was it not um, the promoter in the middle, because that's typically how it's supposed to be, or a representative of the promoter, for instance, a Dana White. They just let this shit show go however the hell Floyd wanted it to go. 
so dumb. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess it just seems it just makes the whole thing look so petty and small and dumb. It doesn't give me any more desire to want to see this in any way. I mean, not that I wanted to. Anyhow, I can right. I can easily avoid watching Floyd at any point. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not. It's really not that difficult. Trust me. And besides, if I am going to see him at any point, if he is to grace my screen. There ain't no law that says I got to pay to see it. Okay, maybe there is, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yes, I do. That's right. And that's a good time for us to wrap up the show before Victor gets us in trouble. That's right. (laughs) So here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell you to follow Victor on Twitter at Vic M. Rodriguez. Follow myself at Crooklyn MMA, the show at Level Change Pod. We're also available on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Level Change Podcast. Victor has an amazing Instagram. You guys should go check it out. If you're a foodie, you really should check it out because Victor be tearing it up in the kitchen. So do check him out there. Um, you can find us both on bloodyelbow.com. And if you listen to the pre-recorded outro, Mookie's dulcet tones still set our the 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 lovely tone of our uh, intros and outros. So check that out because he's going to tell you where you can find this show and all the other great shows on the Bloody Elbow Podcast Network. So until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivisection, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, exclusive fighter interviews, show money, guest podcasts, and radio style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog, and on bloodyelbow.com.